Hey guys, Toolman Tim here. Welcome back to the workshop where we create community, find freedom, share success, and promote preparedness. And I've got another feed going in the background here, so we're going to kill that. Sorry about that, guys. There we are. All right. So tonight, welcome back. We are officially launching our Thursday night live stream. So that'll be two live episodes of the workshop podcast every single week. Really excited. This is going to be kind of a, um, uh, not a rough start, but you know, when they do the, um, they open up a brand new restaurant and they have a, a cold open where they don't really, you know, they don't invite everybody, whatever. Anyway, this is going to be the first week of that because next week is going to be the official launch, um, of the Thursday night live stream. So I know everybody's here and everybody wanted the big announcement. So I'm rather excited about it. So <laughs> right now. Uh, you guys know a couple of weeks ago, I was on uh, Preppers Live on the Prepper Bro Broadcast Network, and James and I have been knocking some things around in the back. Thank you. Soft open. That's what I was looking for, not cold open. Anyway, <laughs> so James and I, uh, the, the owner of the Prepper Broadcast Network, there's 14 other content creators over there. And I know I mentioned a little bit last week, but I'm going to be officially a part of the Preppers Broadcast Network. I'm going to be one of their content creators, kind of, still doing my own thing, but I'm also going to be affiliated with them. Every Thursday night, they are also going to live stream my repairedness uh, podcast. So it's the same thing. It's just going to be the Thursday night episode. It's still going to be here on YouTube. It's also going to be on Float. It's also going to be on Odyssey. And now it's also going to be on the Prepper Broadcast Network. And they have a really hardcore, well-built audience. It's a really neat built-in audience over there. Who, And what's really cool is it's some people who are like-minded to the workshop community and all the surrounding communities that are attached, but that I've never really had a whole lot of interaction with before. So this is, I am so excited. It's going to be huge. It's going to grow. It's going to open up the community to a whole nother realm of interaction. It's going to build the brand. It's going to bring some awesome people in. It's just everything about it is just, it's awesome. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be good. So I had to share that with you guys. I wasn't going to make you sit through the entire live stream before I told you. Uh, but it, that, that's the big deal. So yeah, starting next Thursday, it's going to be, I think I kind of talked about it a little bit, but the Thursday episode of the podcast, at least for, I don't know, the 15 or 20 weeks I have, um, kind of scheduled out on paper so far is going to be on preparedness. And I feel like that's kind of a niche that's missing in the preparedness field. And it's basically going to be, you know, how to take care of all the systems at home, what to have on hand when help isn't around the corner. So we'll dig in with that next week. Hey, Ken, nice to see you, buddy. <laughs> next week's going to be all about building a preparedness toolbox and not a, not a figurative toolbox, but a literal toolbox, you know, putting together all the tools that we need to be able to fix things up. Ken knows all about that stuff. So <laughs> anyway, that's the big announcement. A few more quick announcements to kick through here, guys, before we dive into the questions. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Brian says, good things come to people who work hard. You've put a lot of hard work in, much deserved. Thank you, sir. That, very much appreciated. Um, so, from there, uh, let's see. What else do we have? Um, well, I know a lot of you guys are in here, but uh, we've got another project on the go. Going to be, no, obviously not going to throw the cat out of the bag or anything. Just really cool, some really neat things happening behind the scenes. That's really exciting. Uh, a collaboration of sorts, but that's as much as... 
I would be willing to say right now. Uh, congrats to Nicole Sauce. If you guys, obviously you guys follow, most everybody in here follows her podcast, but she hit 500 episodes this week and I had to throw it in there. That is, that's huge. Any uh, podcaster that ends up making to 500 episodes, they, they are doing something right. So congrats to Nicole. Um, and if you guys have been following over on the YouTube channel, uh, and on Odyssey, I've been putting out an Amazon prepper deal of the day. And that is basically uh, the night before or the morning of, I find the best preparedness item for hopefully the best discount I can find. And I share it in one of those one minute YouTube shorts. And today was the Renogy 200 watt solar panel system for $331. I'll put the link in the description when we're done, but that's the best price on that 200 watt system in two years. It has a 40 amp solar charge controller. Hey, Ted, nice to see you, buddy. Uh, so it's a heavy duty and a 40 amp charge controller that comes with it as well. Everything you need other than batteries to get started in an inverter, but it's everything that comes into a full package solar kit. Killer deal. Uh, the, the, the short kind of blew up a little bit today and did really well, but I'm just going to try to throw one of those in every time we do a recording. So you guys, if you're looking for something like that, excellent. And if you pick it up, it supports the channel. So thanks. Okay. So, and if you guys have questions tonight, throw them at me. I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, I've got quite a few that I've collected up over the last couple of weeks. People send them in and what ends up happening is I answer them. And then, uh, you know, it's nice to help one person, but it's way better to be able to share those answers with the entire community. So I figured it, it'd been probably two months since we did one of these Q and a, uh, community feedback episodes. So we'll dig right in here guys. But so the first one, um, this I, I've had, I think it's really exciting. I'm, I don't know if some of the other content creators in here tonight or anybody else in our community, but there just seems to be a really cool interest in preparedness. Hey Joe, how are you? Uh, and I seem to be getting a lot of questions from brand new preppers, people just getting into preparedness. And I, to me, that that's exciting. That <laughs> bless their heart because we've all been there. We've all started somewhere. And I had that one a couple of weeks ago. I told you guys about, about the urban camouflage. The, the gentleman wanted to either store gas inside or, you know, had lost the place to store it. So we dealt with that. But then this week I got this question. This was awesome. I didn't, I forgot to ask the gentleman if I could use his name. So we won't, but I'll give you the question anyway. And it says, Hey Tim, so being really new to the prepper scene, do you have a base list that you worked off of? <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So Brian says, uh, weird new preppers. Now I, I don't get it. You, you'd think something weird was going on. Hey, but anyway, uh, you know, people are obviously concerned. And as far as a list goes, like, I don't know how, if, if anybody else wants to share your, you know, your story or like a, you know, your elevator pitch about how you get into preparedness, but you know, there's no one way into it. And there is certainly, I mean, hope maybe we should put a list together, but there's, there's no like, here's your prepper's handbook. And you know, if you're concerned about looking after your family and your friends, or at least, you know, your loved ones in whatever emergency you're concerned about, I wish there was a handbook I could give you and say, here it is hope you know do all these steps and you're all set but there there really isn't but first off the the biggest piece of advice i can say is you know my good old bill murray quote from what about bob baby steps don't get in over your head don't feel like you need to spend 
don't feel like you have to do it all. Don't feel like you have to have an underground bunker with, you know, uh, radiation detecting equipment and, you know, an entire pallet of mountain house meals. Don't feel like that. Just start with the bare minimum basics. And when you start getting a few easy wins, everything else will feel just a little bit better. But when you start, focus on the little, the, the everyday things. Water, that's an easy one. Water's free. So, you know, save yourself some pop bottles, save yourself whatever it is that you can, maybe not milk, but any, any reusable water jug and then fill it from your tap, whether you're on a well or on municipal water, that's free. And that is easy. You can easily stock up a week's supply of water or at least enough drinking water and a little bit to say, wash up or do dishes with really quick. And it takes up some space, but it's not that bad. Hey, Mr. Dixon, how are you? So yeah, like I said, start with water. That's an easy, that's an easy win to get under your belt. That's an easy one to deal with. And it's an easy one to not feel overwhelmed with. And then of course you got water and then food. So pay attention to what you eat, pay attention to what you use on a regular basis, keep a list of it. And what that stuff is that the shelf stable, the easy to store stuff, that's what you want to set aside first. So, so say your dry goods, your canned goods, whatever it is that you happen to eat, when you go out and you get your groceries, and this doesn't have to cost a whole hell of a lot, really, but just say, for instance, it's uh, Campbell's mushroom soup, and say you eat five cans of that a week, whatever, right? So if it's in the budget, buy six or seven cans each time you go and get your groceries. So then all of a sudden, you're building up a little stockpile. And once you've done that for three or four weeks, you've got enough mushroom soup on hand and then keep doing that. So it doesn't cost a whole lot. And then once you have yourself, and here's the other thing, everyone wants to have a year's worth of food and grains and everything else on hand. But you know what? Even having, you know, three extra days worth of food, you are ahead of 99% of every other Joe out there. And so if you can just start building small dry goods, shelf-stable foods to start with that are cheap, inexpensive, even, hell, even go to the dollar store if you have to, but just buy one or two extra ones each time you go shopping and build yourself up a tiny little stockpile and then shoot for three, you know, shoot for one extra day's worth of food, then shoot for three extra days, then work your way up to say a week. But the key is, is to not focus on wanting to have three months worth of food the very first day. Yes. See, so start at three days, go to 30, then 90 and on and on. Absolutely. You know, and it's okay to have a long-term goal way out there, but if you're absolutely brand new at this, don't feel overwhelmed when you hear people saying, oh, I've got, I've got three side of beef in my deep freeze and that's all there is to it. And, and if you don't have three side of beef, you're a failure as a, no, 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 no. Every single step that you take is absolutely a step in the right direction and is a win. So just start with that little bits, little steps, get a little bit of food on the shelf and all of a sudden you're heading in the right direction. And then gas, that's another one. And, you know, even though gas is expensive, a single five gallon or, or, you know, in freedom, I mean, yes, five gallons is freedom units and 20 liters is this, uh, you know, Canadian thing, but in, in a, but we still call it five gallons in a five gallon jug of gas, even though gas is expensive right now, five gallons isn't that much. And we're going to talk about that a little bit further down the road too. But yeah, so Liberty, uh, let's bring this one up here, guys. Liberty all day says, and don't feel like you need to stock up your entire pantry right away. And, and that's what I, I think that's what we all maybe struggled with, at least when you first start out. And I think that's a, a new, yes. And 
Boy, you're, you've got some good ones here, Liberty. And panic buying is not the way to go. That is absolutely 100% true because as a human, you know, human nature is when you're anxious, you want to do something to eliminate that anxiety. And when you first get into preparedness, a lot of times what stirs that on is the anxiety about something that's happening in the world. And you can't control all that bullshit that's happening out there, not even a little bit. But what you can do is you can go out and buy a bunch of useless stuff and it might make you feel better for a minute or two. <laughs> but then all of a sudden you end up having a toilet paper fort that you can play in for the next three years. But don't panic buy and take small steps, practical things. Buy practical, buy the exact same things you're buying all the time anyway, just buy a couple more of them. Yeah, don't don't get all panicky and go crazy on a whole bunch of other stuff. Just start with a little stuff. And uh, absolutely, that, that's where to go. And then, like I said, gas. Even, well, number one, keeping a full tank of gas in your vehicle. And I got kind of a question about that later on. So we'll, we'll touch a little later. But And then an extra five-gallon ga gas can, just, just for an emergency. You know, if, if worst case scenario, you can run your car and you can plug your iPhone or Android phone into the, um, the adapter in the vehicle and let it go. But five gallons of gas, if all you're doing is running it during a power emergency to uh, charge up your phone, that is going to be able to stretch a long ways. <laughs> Brian, you are absolutely right. Only buy food that you can actually eat. My goodness, isn't that something? Because and I, hey, I am absolutely guilty of this. I'm trying to think of what I have now. I've gotten better about donating some of the stuff, but there were some dry goods. I'll sometimes I'll be going through, like when we get to the city, you'll get some of the um, the ethnic food sections and some of the big grocery stores, and you'll go and you'll be like, oh, whatever kind of rice this is, that looks really good. I'm like, you know what I need is that 75 pound bag of rice, honey. It's only fourteen dollars, and I'm sure we'll eat it. And well, you know what happens, right? We don't eat it. <laughs> uh, Ted says, local Costco has been out of toilet paper and paper towels down here the last few times I've been there. That was something. So we, we're we really good at having paper goods on hand. We tend to have a, about 12 months supply now, but that's again, something we've built up over the years. And during the whole you know, COVID thing, we were out there. Each time we'd go to Costco, we'd check, and quite often they wouldn't have it. So it seems like we are going on the same, you know, down that same path of paper goods again. And Ken says, should I pass on those MREs from Vietnam? Well, I guess the real question is, is, you know, is that something you eat on a regular basis? Because if you like Vietnamese, well, then maybe you'll be okay with that. <laughs> and you know what? We, my daughter has a thing for MREs and she likes sitting down and eating them on occasion. So we do have a couple cases over in the new prepper pantry there, but she kind of likes them, likes making videos out of them and stuff. But, uh, and then I just got thinking, Ken, you probably actually mean like Vietnam era MREs from like the 60s. So, <laughs> And Brian says, my wife actually had 15-gallon uh, glass jars of, is that quinoa? And I made her feed it to the chickens. Yes, that is another one that my wife and I picked up, uh, quinoa. And we tried it once and didn't love it, didn't even like it, actually kind of hated it. And so it went the way of the birds too. So yeah, we go, we stock up, we're like, oh, this is a cheap grain. I could eat it in the, you know, but you know what, if you're in an emergency situation and you are absolutely miserable already, the last thing you need to do is eat some kind of granola food that you don't like. So you got to at least, you know, 
one thing you can absolutely do is make sure that you have food on hand that you love. And it may not be the healthiest stuff, but at least the stuff you eat on a regular basis. And that's going to at least take some of that stress away. <laughs> and then uh, a power outage kit. Anybody can, you know, throw a few candles, a power supply, get well, like a cheap anchor battery pack, you know, 20,000 milliamp or something that you can charge your phone off of four or five times, uh, a headlamp or a couple of headlamps. And you know what? You're set because personal emergencies, one of the things we end up dealing with on a regular basis seems to be power outages. That's an easy win again. And it's something that's really inexpensive to put together. So water, food, gas, and a small little power emergency uh, outage kit. And that is enough to get you going. And then from there, you know what? The sky's the limit. You can focus on whatever you want from there, but just worry about the absolute basics to get started and then baby steps out the door. Yes, Chris says, "Be yeah, this is this is an awesome point here, man. Being in a crisis is miserable enough without adding or without terrible supplies added to that. Ain't that the truth? Yes. <laughs> and uh, um, just wondering if the chickens actually ate the quinoa because, you know, it's one of those things, right? But <laughs> uh, what do we got? Okay, and then the next question, this, this came from a, a gentleman called uh, Yar, Y-A-I-R, over on Float. And I posted a meme a while back. And it basically said that, um, you know, an important step of being a prepper is realizing that it doesn't cost any more to keep a full tank of fuel in your vehicle than, than having a half a tank. And first off, full confession, for a lot of years, my wife and I were uh, very, um, you know, below the poverty line for sure. And so there were lots of times where we had to decide whether we were going to put you know, 10 or $20, $10 worth of gas in the vehicle or buy a gallon of milk for almost $10. On the East Coast, milk was super expensive. But, you know, it still, even then, isn't really any more money. And I, I know it's easy to say at this point, but it's really not any more money to keep a full tank than it is to keep an empty tank. The only time it costs is the first time you fill up. And then from that point on, if you burn $20, put $20 in. But if you let it go all the way down, then you can have yourself some trouble. And he was having a bit of trouble wrapping his head around. He just wanted me to explain it a little bit. But so, I mean, this was a good, a good example, but say you're on your way home from work at night and your gas light comes on and you think, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to bother. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to coast at home on fumes and I'll pick up gas in the morning. However, middle of the night you wake up and one of the kids is sick and you have to run them to the emergency room. All of a sudden now you're on pins and needles if you're even going to get there. How about, you know, you wake up, somebody beating on your door, and it happens to be the local emergency responder saying, you need to evacuate right now, and you need to go 100 kilometers or, you know, 60 miles away or whatever it happens to be, and you know you ain't got 60 miles worth of gas in that tank. And all of a sudden, oh, and it would have been just as easy to stop into that gas station on the way home from work that night. I know we're tired, whatever, but man, and this is a good one too. Chris says, uh, my granddad always said that it costs the same to keep the top half full as the bottom half. And it, yeah, and it always seems to not go down as quick uh, when you're burning out of the top half. I don't know. I'm sure that's just an absolute mental thing, but my wife and I both said that. We always, we always felt like that was the case. But yes, you, <laughs> I got to, you know what? That one's going into the uh, screenshot um, meme that I share tomorrow for sure. And just not let it get empty. But yes, absolutely. 
So this was another one. Uh, Rob over on MeWe, he he sent me one, and uh, I did a segment on the uh, for the expert council you hear coming up too. But he asked about dealing with rust on stovepipe, and you know, out, out on the uh, prairies at this point, I don't get to work with wood fire very much. But I spent the first thirty some years of my life heating with wood, and you know cutting and junking and splitting six, you know, 10 to 15 cord of wood every winter for at least the last few years. And we are pretty good experts at it. I, I remember as a kid, one time I was in my friend's kitchen and leaned up against the stovepipe and practically took the skin off my elbow. So I had a lot of, you know, a lot of experience around the old wood stoves. But anyway, he wanted to know about dealing with rusty pipes on his wood stove. And the first thing I asked, of course, is, and the first thing you need to do is check that pipe out and make sure that it's not, you know, if it's just surface rust, it can absolutely be dealt with. If it's like that flaky rust that you push on it and it kind of wants to poke through, well, then you need to replace it. Oh, my daughter dropped by. Hey, Charlotte, that's okay. I always love seeing you, sweet pea. You're my biggest supporter. And so first thing, make sure that that, that rust hasn't gone through. Anyway, this ended up, uh, we chatted back and forth and it ended up being double walled stovepipe. So again, Another thing you need to do is make sure that you deal with this early, uh, you know, before it gets too cold so that you can take the pipe outside and deal with it. Now, emery cloth, steel wool, take it down, scrub it, get rid of all the loose flaky rust, and then just get yourself a can of high heat spray bomb. There's the man that I forgot to thank. And we'll, we'll talk about Pappy in just a minute. How are you, Pappy? It's nice to see you, my friend. I'll tell you guys a story about Pappy in a minute here. Um, so yes, so take your stovepipe down, take it outdoors, scuff all that, any loose rust, because if you don't and you cover it over, there's a good chance that rust is going to keep eating through. And then get high heat spray paint, high heat black spray paint, spray it all over and you're done. And, and he asked me, he said, you know what? If it's not spongy, that's not, hasn't worked its way through, what's the worst thing's going to happen leaving it through the winter? And nothing, absolutely nothing. Because it's just going to get a little more rusty and you're just going to have to scrape a little more of that rust off. But if the pipe's in good shape, there's no reason to replace it, especially if it's that expensive double walled stuff. And that's what it was in this case. So yeah, just scuff it down, either steel wool or a fine emery cloth, get rid of that loose rust and then give it a spray. From there, uh, Travis says, uh, this was a question I got on me. We just a couple days ago, wanted to know what the easiest way would be to replace fluorescent fixtures in a shop. So these are hardwired four foot tubes in his shop. And he wanted to know, I wanted to upgrade them to LED bulbs. So if you guys have ever taken one of them white fixtures apart, inside is a ballast and it's either an electronic ballast, which is light or a magnetic ballast, which you don't want to drop on your foot. <laughs> and so, um, and it has gotten soup. It's gotten stupid, simple back a few years ago. If you wanted to replace them with LED bulbs, you had to actually physically replace the ballast that's in there. And if you guys don't know what a ballast is, it's just a square black box that kind of, I, I don't know if it's a transformer or what it does, but it runs the power up in your light fixture. So now it is simple enough that you, of course, turn your power off first, go up there, snip the wires off, haul that old ballast out, and now... The new fixtures, you can just rewire right in like a normal switch and then plug your LED bulbs, or sorry, like a normal light and then plug your LED bulbs right into where your old fluorescent tubes went. I'll, I'll dig up some links for you to show this, but it is stupid simple. 
And the only thing simpler than that would be to buy a plug-in LED fixture. And I love some of those. Oh, hey, Anthony, how are you? Uh, Anthony, uh, this is over on Float. He just said, uh, I just sanded down and sprayed my grill this summer. It looks pretty good now. A 10-minute job can do wonders. Ain't that the truth? And I used to, in that high-heat black paint, another little life tip or uh, hack or whatever, my wife and I used to use that barbecue and stove paint for light fixtures. So we'd go and buy the cheapest brass fixtures we could find at, you know, the big box hardware store, something that was like 20 bucks. But at that time, that flat black kind of antique black look was in. And so we would just tape it all off and spray it with that barbecue paint or the stove paint, whichever one we get our hands on, whichever was cheaper at the time. And then all of a sudden we would take these cheap $20 Walmart fixtures and make them look like something, you know, not a million bucks, but at least a hundred dollars. And they looked really sharp with that. Uh, Ted says, been using those LED conversion kits for a couple of years now. They seem to be working well. That's good to know because I haven't actually done one yet. I've been looking at them a few times and they look like they're going to be a top-notch product. I, I've been picking up those bench lights. They're 32-watt LED bench lights. They're, they're four feet long. I get them at Princess Auto, which is like our Canadian Harbor Freight. And usually they're on sale. I think last time they were on sale for $25 and they light up like there's no tomorrow. So uh, I'm a huge fan of LED, period. So any anyway, anytime. Uh, Frank wanted to know, uh, do you have a recommendation for something that pulled out a drywall? So this was, I can't remember if he said it was a towel rack or a toilet paper rack or something anyway. And these were, what had happened was, I don't know if a kid hauled on it or what, but they pulled them out and the anchors came out and it left a hole, you know, a pretty damn big hole all the way around and wanted to know if there's a way to repair it or whatever. Oh yeah. Any, so what I love are what they call these flip toggles. And they're about yay long. Uh, for those listening, <laughs> yay would be about you know, six inches long. And they have a, a metal flip toggle on one end and a plastic uh, with teeth on the other end. And you drill yourself about a quarter inch hole, slide it in, you pull the plastic back and snap it off. And I had, I, I have a doctor that I do work for and her kids kept using her towel bar as a, uh, chin-up bar and they pulled it out of the wall three or four times and over a year ago I repaired them with those flip toggles and they were the and they have never come off yet and the kids still hang on them so they're the best the quickest and best way to fix something that's been pulled out of a wall that already has you know that has that big hole there without and what's nice is you don't need to go in and repair those holes because you know the trim of the towel bar is already there now of course if they you know, great big hole or something Well, you're going to have to, but, uh, and then uh, this was also from Frank. He, he sent me a couple of questions and a, a really good suggestion for a side hustle kind of thing. So second one was, uh, and this was a good one. And this doesn't just go for tools. This can go for prepper gear and everything else. But he said, you discuss a lot about buying new tools. I hadn't noticed that. I, I think my wife has though. I do buy new tools on occasion. <laughs> and he said, any suggestions for the best way to get rid of old but useful tools? He says, making money versus donating or throwing them out and time versus effort. And I will, yes, I'm not sure if that was for, uh, Brian wants a link put up. Okay, Ted got it, good. So yeah, if you put a link in there, Ted, I will share it on social too for those LED bulbs, uh, conversion kits. That would be awesome. So as far as selling used tools or getting rid of used tools, first off, 
at least in my business with the handyman business, the first thing I try to do is to make sure I never wear a tool out completely. Now, if I break it, well, I got to throw it out and you know do away with it. But when I when I started upgrading to a lot of cordless tools, my corded tools were still reasonably good. So a couple things, uh, no for the toggle repairs. Uh, oh yes, yep, I will. I might even have. I think I even have a. a a recommendation here. Yeah, I'll put that up on the live screen, live stream there. Yeah, I do. I have a, a good uh, product for that and I'll send you a link. I'll try to remember to get it in the show notes for you. But as far as what to do with tools when you don't need certain ones anymore. And first off, a few tips I found is, like I said, don't wear them out before you sell them. So replace, buy something new before the old one has lost all of its resale value. So number one, make sure if you're going to try to sell it, make sure it's worth selling. And then number two, sell it for a price that it's going to sell. So if you've got something then you know, okay, it's worth $100. But if I list it for $100, it's going to end up sitting on Facebook Marketplace for three months because it's going to take a while to sell. I sell shit to get it sold. You know, old used tools that are still in really good shape, if they're, uh, you know, corded or something, I'll put them up for $20 or $30. And if I can sell four or five old tools like that, I can turn one, turn those into one new DeWalt cordless tool. So, you know, price it to sell, don't wear it out. And then, you know, sometimes I just have to throw things out too, because I'll list something online and be like, you know what, that's going to sell. How, how can that not sell? And I'll try to give it away to family. You know, another thing, have kids, uh, then you almost never have to, uh, sell used tools because they seem to go missing sometimes. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I do try to hand me down stuff to my kids as well. And then there's places like we have a, um, up in the city, it's the interval home uh, nearby and it's for, you know, um, abused women and things like that. So they, you can donate gently used, uh, construction material tools, anything like that. And then they turn around and resell them and then donate that money or buy things that these ladies need. And so, you know, if you can't sell it, or if you just don't want to go through the hassle of selling, then try to find a good place to donate to, because that, to me, that's worth, a, that's worth a ton. But yeah, the, my, my big tips though, are don't wear it out before you sell it and then price it to sell. And then that's normally what we end up doing. My wife and I, you know, a couple times a year, it's time to clean out my workshop and I go through and I send her pictures to list online and I always price them to sell and we normally sell most of it and upgrade before you need to. That helps a lot too. Um, and then John, I, when I did a video recently on the DeWalt inflation station, I did it next to my RV. And of course, yeah, yes. And Brian says, here's a great tip guys. Pawn shop is quick and easy. You know, I never think of pawn shops because I live in a small town and the nearest one would be a couple hours away. But yes, that is absolutely, yeah, that, that's a great tip there. Um, okay, so before we go into Know Your Joe, I just got a shout out to Pappy. If you're still in here, Pappy, I got to say thank you. And I, I meant to write down his name in the opening, but part of that announcement that came with the prepper broadcast network that's happening. It, it's all thanks to Pappy. This is how it went real quick. I got to fill you guys in because this is just an incredible community story and I got to share it with you. So Pappy, and I don't, Pappy, if, if you're, if you want to share, I'm not even sure how you came across my live stream, but he's been in and out of my live streams a bunch of times, liked 
what I offered, which was humbling to me, went back and talked to James, where he's a member of the Prepper Broadcast Network, told him, you need to get Tim on here. And from there, it just kind of snowballed. And of course, I got on the live and then we ended up talking and I ended up becoming part of the Prepper Broadcast Network. And it's all thanks to Pappy Cannoli. So thank you, Pappy. That was very much appreciated. Yes, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> so yes. And know your Joe. What do you got here? How about 10 gallons of drinking water, two cases of different flavors of ramen noodles, headlamp, few Bic lighters, two metal pots, insulated mugs, spoons, work gloves, camp saw, five gallons of gas was stable. Hey, that's an absolute basic right there. So yeah, I I can't argue with that. Every every item in there is an absolute perfect recommendation. That's great. Charlotte says, thank you, Pappy, as well. Um, so yes, anyway, um, John, he seen my RV in the background when I was filming that video. And he says, your RV doesn't have any black streaks on it. How do you clean it? And then I had to admit that I hadn't washed it in over a year. But one thing that I do, and I actually don't really use a whole lot of cleaner when I'm cleaning RVs. I just use my pressure washer. And if you guys have ever noticed, especially the older style RVs that have the metal siding on them. So every, you know, every six inches, there's a, a little lap there that holds dirt and mold and mildew like there's no yeah it, it's incredible how much it holds and so what ends up happening is you rinse and you wash and you're like oh i got it and three minutes later you come back and all of a sudden there's black coming down the side of the uh the rv and it, on and on and on it goes so what i end up i just pressure wash but I, when i'm going to do my rv I just say, you know what, it's going to take two or three hours and this is how it's going to go. And I work the top back and forth two or three times until that top little bit is clean, let it roll down and then work my way down again. And that's the only way to do it is to make sure that you get up in those little areas really well and then let all of that black roll down and then wash it down, bring the dirt with you. And to me, that has worked way better than any other product on the market. And Pappy says the uh, Prepper Broadcast Network is a great resource. I knew you'd fit in really well. Well, thank you. <laughs> this is what community building is all about. And this is what opens everything up to a whole bunch of other uh, communities. And I love it. So thank anyway, thanks, Pappy. You know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. So it was awesome. And I had to mention it. And I'm glad you showed up because this is just perfect timing. So from here, oh, one more question. And then I got a few really cool tips that a whole bunch of uh, community members have shared in the last couple of weeks. But this one's from Frust Frustivity over on Float. And if you guys aren't on Float, but you're looking for another social media presence, I friggin' love Float. I'm I'm just, I'm, I think I'm gonna hit a thousand followers this week, which is incredible. It's a it's an awesome platform. It's uh, open, free free speech. And what other place can you get technical support from the CEO and co-founder and wife? Like it's, it's incredible that Aaron and Kingsley are incredible people over there. And I just, I love float. It's like a hybrid of Facebook and, um, Twitter, I guess. And yeah, I live stream over there all the time. We're actually live streaming there right now. And it's a, it's a cool community. I get the most interaction from my social media posts over there and it's a really neat crew and you know what's neat if you got somebody on there that you're like oh, i don't like this you know you don't like what they're posting just scroll by that's as simple as that i know that's an adult kind of mindset but you absolutely can there's no need to complain or report anybody you just do your thing and follow along 
So Frustivity asked me, he said, hey, Tim, I got some work I need to do in my garage this winter. If I were to buy something on the cheap to heat up either the whole garage or just directionally under the vehicle, what would you recommend? Well, this was a good one. Him and I chatted back and forth. Um, a few things. Number one, how insulated is your garage? And uh, how big is the garage? And how big is the area where you're going to be working on the vehicle? And so a few suggestions I sent over to him. And, and this is coming from a guy who has worked in unheated garages for the better part of a decade now. <laughs> and I try to do my best to figure out a way to keep myself warm. First thing I do is get a two inch piece of high density foam, the blue stuff that you can get at the like Home Depot and stuff. And I set that on the ground and then I work on top of that because there's something about concrete that just chills your friggin' bones. If you stand on concrete, your feet are cold. If you lay on concrete, your entire body is cold. So if you can insulate yourself, number one, from the cold and the concrete, that is, that's huge. So put some foam down. And then from there, I, it really depends. If it's a huge garage, then a directional heater that's just blowing on you is probably good enough. But the same company that makes the little buddy heaters, they have some of the bigger ones. And I call them kind of like a cannon or a barrel heater. And they're, they're round and they're about 18 inches long and maybe about six, eight inches in diameter. And they hook up to a regular uh, 20 pound or 30 pound propane tank and torpedo heater. There we go. Uh, thanks, Brian. And they work incredible. They, they shoot out of flame, so you don't want to get too close to them. They are good enough to heat up a small garage. But what I like about them is they also have a direction to them. So you can kind of point them. Don't get them too close to you. But you can point it in your general direction. And you're going to get more of the heat than the rest of the garage is. And the longer you're in there working, the more it's going to heat up your garage as well. Now, one thing I did find is they're not super efficient on burning. And I did find that, and maybe I'm just kind of weird this way, but I needed to crack the door every so often. If I was in there all day working with the door shut, I would get kind of lightheaded or maybe gross kind of feeling. <laughs> so, you know, always be cognizant of the fact that you're still burning a combustible gas. And if it's not fully burning, you need to keep an eye out on that. And yes, yeah, so it's just one of those things that I love them. They're really cheap. Some of them are so cheap. This one I actually ended up breaking because I knocked it off my bench and the back fan support was all plastic and it absolutely, but yeah, they do. They get a little fumey and I'm sure it wasn't super dangerous, but if you're in there working for long periods of time, either step outside for fresh air every so often or crack your door a little bit. And that kind of sucks because you're trying to keep all that heat in. But what I like about them is they're strong enough to heat an entire garage, but they also have a direction to the heat coming out that can kind of keep you warm under there. So I hope that helps. And Brian from the lot says the kerosene fume one, the kerosene ones will really fume you out. Yeah, I've I've been around them. They were more, and especially when I was a kid, but the, the kerosene seemed stronger or stinkier. Or wasn't I'm sure it had all kinds of fun impurities, probably lead or asbestos or something in it. But yes, they the kerosene ones are stinky at the best of times. Uh, so uh, first off, um, I had a, a few community tips to share with you too, and we can kind of discuss these. If you guys have other questions, throw them up there too. And if you have any tips you want to share with the community, great. But these are all awesome, and I always love to discuss them. And this is the part of you know our mission statement, the creating community. And this is where I learn from everybody out there as much as hopefully you guys learn from me. And I get 
tons of awesome tips and I always try to th turn around and throw them back. But so Frank over on float, um, I posted, if you guys seen, if you guys don't know what the air tags are, they're those little tracking devices that Apple makes now. And they work through Bluetooth uh, in the background, supposedly completely secure. And I picked one up. I'm going to do some testing on it to see if it's a more inexpensive alternative to GPS tracking for my generator. You know, that generator wasn't quite $1,000, but it wasn't that far off. So that's a big investment. And the last thing I'd want is for somebody to pick it up and walk off. Well, they're not going to pick it up and walk off with it. But the last thing I'd like is for somebody to throw that on the back of their truck and, and run away with it. And so, but I also don't want another monthly payment. And the worst thing about those GPS trackers that you can put on expensive gear is you have to have some sort of monthly subscription. And that's that's out of the question. I'm not going to do it because I'm just not going to. It does the, the cost to me doesn't doesn't work. But what I was willing to do, and uh Joseph Mills, he's on here quite often. He has his own channel. He did a video on tracking tools with the Apple AirTags. I hadn't seen them before. So if, if you guys haven't checked them out, if you're into this kind of technology, they look really cool. And I am, I'm going to test them out. However, Frank shared with me that there's been a security exploit on them for quite a while that Apple's known about since the summer and they haven't fixed it yet. So even though, you know, I, I like this kind of technology, I like playing with this kind of stuff. And it is really cool how it, it uses all iPhones out there to um, anonymously send information back using Bluetooth so that you don't have to have a big battery and a GPS transponder in that chip. However, always need to know that the big companies, sometimes they just don't always care about the security. This exploit um, won't affect me, but what it can affect is if you find one of them out there, apparently if you tap it, it can actually automatically send you to another, uh, a bad website, basically. So people can set it up and instead of sending you to their contact information, it can send you to a phishing site little, then install bad software or whatever. So, uh, so Ted asks, and if anybody wants to know, Ted lives down uh, where you can hunt iguanas out of the trees, but uh, down in Florida. Any recommendations on a propane fuel air conditioner? Gets hot down here when the power goes out. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I've looked at them, uh, or I've I've looked at the concept of them a few times. For me, I would probably just keep a regular. I, I think the the cheaper and I always like anything that I buy. I want it to have multiple uses. And so I think what my option would be, would be to keep, you know, a 1500 uh, watt, you know, just a regular plug-in electrical air conditioner and uh, run it off of a propane fired generator or a gas fired generator, if that's the case. I mean, there are other options. I've looked at them. I mean, another thing would be to hang out in a camper. Although most campers don't have uh, propane fueled air conditioners, they have propane fueled fridges. But yeah, for me, what I would do is keep one or two of the small air conditioners around because I did a test recently and I couldn't even get my central air to run on the on the gas setting of my uh, tri-fuel Furman generator. I'm going to need a soft start for it to even do that. So I just keep a couple of cheap, you know, $99 Walmart air conditioners around. And then if you, if you want to use propane, 
get a propane generator or keep some fuel around and, and have a, a gas power generator. But, but either way, that's, that's the way I'd solve it. But if anybody else has any recommendations on a, on an actual propane powered air conditioner, I would be very interested in finding out about that. Um, or, or a natural gas. I, I looked at natural gas central air for our house, but it was a lot more expensive than the electrical one. So, uh, micro, uh, Brian says that this is a good one. Micro air soft start is what I use in my rig. Well, we'll have to talk about that because I've been looking for one and I think it'll, I'm sure that my generator, I'm hoping even on natural gas, it'll run my central air if I have a soft start on there. So if you got a link to that one too, Brian, send it along my way because I am willing to test that out. Uh, and Ted says, I heard some of these new electric trucks can be set up to use as a whole house generator. I've seen that as well. And what I think is really cool about this, I'm glad you brought it up, but um, these electric vehicles are basically, you know, driving backup power storage. And there's been some talk about them being, you know, adjacent to or attached to the actual grid. And, you know, there's good and bad to that. They talk about, you know, the utility companies being able to pull power off of those if they need it, you know, so that they don't have to shut down power utilities or, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not such a keen idea on that, but what I really do love is having that huge store of power because, you know, if there's a huge power outage there, yeah, exactly. Couple that with a power wall. This is like taking battery banks and putting them not just on steroids, but like, well, I don't know the, the most powerful steroids out there. You're going to find like these, these are incredible. And I love the idea because like you said, it's a rolling battery bank. And if you have a power wall to go with it, all of a sudden you've got all this stored energy that when the power goes out, you don't have to haul out a great big, huge clunky generator and run stinky old gasoline through it and make so much noise that the neighbors are going to complain for the next month. All of that's gone. All you have are these, you know, and I know batteries have their issues as well, but the fact that at the moment when you're using them, they're quiet and clean and... <laughs> camouflaged basically because if you have you know heavy drapes in your windows people aren't even going to know you have power but yeah i love the idea of an electric vehicle being a rolling sitting stored amount uh, of energy there and i think the sky's the limit to what we're going to be able to do with that i'm excited i i've been watching some youtube videos on teslas in the prairie climate because my biggest concern is that kind of minus 40 temperature and there's a guy in Saskatoon. I love saying that name for some reason. Anyway, he's that would be about two and a half hours as the crow flies for me. And he has run it for two or three winters now. And yeah, it's awesome. Uh, they, they work. And I, I thought, you know, my biggest thing was, how do they warm up in the wintertime? Because, I mean, that'd be a big draw on the battery. And of course, the solution was always way simpler than you think. He heats it up while it's still plugged in charging. And here in the winter, pretty much any parking lot where a vehicle is going to be parked for more than an hour or two has outlets in it because everybody has some sort of way to keep their engine warm when they're parked in minus 40. So that was a lot simpler than I thought. And Brian says that he runs his AC on a Honda uh, 2200. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't take a whole lot to, uh, to run them. Uh, like you said, with a soft start, especially, yeah. All right. Uh, and then this was a good one. I, I, if anybody's seen Ken Cornelius in here tonight, uh, 
if he isn't now, I know he has some, uh, uh, sometimes the carrier pigeons up there on the mountain, they, they, they don't do their job with the internet, but I shared a meme the other day about, and I love these memes that, you know, get us talking, but it, again, it was centered around the idea of urban camouflage and hiding things out in the open so that ne'er-do-well people won't bother with it. You know, there's the old skit that Jerry Seinfeld did. He always used to joke about putting a big screen television in the back seat of a car. And as long as you put a jacket over it, nobody was going to bother it. And of course, he's being a bit facetious, but I thought Ken was here. But anyway, the whole idea was this one was a picture of, there was a, a handyman had all of his tools in the back of his truck and or back of his van. And he built this, it was almost like a blanket he could pull over that made the entire back look like it was just full of trash. It was the last thing that any kind of, you know, criminal was going to break into and rifle through to steal simply because it was all garbage in there. But what they didn't know was all the expensive, beautiful DeWalt cordless tools were hiding just underneath that blanket. So I thought, you know, I love the idea of hiding things in the open and urban camouflage. And so, of course, I asked everybody like, you know, what's your experience with that? And there was one gentleman said in Hawaii, it's a pretty common thing for people to set up these, you know, fake kind of garbagey looking vehicles so that people don't break into them. And of course, Ken said when he was a kid, his father's idea of urban camouflage was to go into the hardware store and tell him to stay in the vehicle and uh, secure the tools. <laughs> and I had, to, I had to joke about that, but I thought that to me, that, that made me chuckle, you know, just leaving a little kid in there. But honestly, most times just making something that much more difficult to steal will make them pass by and go to another vehicle. And, you know, we joke about the dad leaving, uh, you know, a little old Kenny in the uh, truck, but you know what? Honestly, it works because what are the bad guys going to do? Are they going to go in the vehicle with a kid in there? Are they going to, nah, we're going to skip that one and we're going to go to the next one that's completely empty and has all the tools in the back. So, you know, I'm huge proponent. I might even do an entire episode if I can get enough suggestions and things like that on the whole idea of urban and suburban camouflage, like hiding things out in the open, because sometimes you just don't have the area to keep things secure you know, so sometimes you just have to outsmart the dummies and, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then Brian says, now they'll steal the kid too. You know, you're probably not wrong. Uh, I, yeah, I get it. I know, I know. But all things being considered, if I was one of them bad guys and I come up along two vehicles and they both had beautiful DeWalt tools in the back seat, and one had a kid and I'd have to break into it. Yeah. But uh, Ted says, got to keep the honest people honest. Yeah, you're right there. Um, if you guys, uh, Skyler Gibbler was on a few weeks, uh, a couple of weeks back there about getting started homesteading. He just put a video out. And if you guys haven't seen it, it's going to be one of the slickest, coolest things I'd seen. Mixing up cement concrete using a tarp. And yeah, it was really, it was really neat. If you guys haven't seen it, he just basically dumps out a bag of pre-mixed cement. I always get a kick out of the idea of pre-mixed cement. It's not like it comes with water in the bag, but you know, it has the aggregate, the gravel and the uh, Portland cement powder in there, put it in the middle of a tarp, dump the amount of water they need it. And him and his wife just kind of moved the tarp back and forth. Well, what was great about it was number one, if you're just doing a small cement job, you don't have to keep, you don't have to bring a uh, wheelbarrow or anything on hand. And there was zero cleanup when it was all done. Yeah, and then Brian says, just go to the truck with the Milwaukee. Yeah, you wouldn't get as much at the uh, pawn shop with that, would you? But yeah, so anyway, that to me, that was, I love that. 
it's only like a four minute video. If you get a minute, check that out. Cause it was one of the coolest, slickest tips I'd seen. And there was literally no cleanup. Cause what he said was, you know, you roll all that cement off the tarp down into the hole. And then once the tarp dries, you just kind of shake it off and everything's done. And, uh, Hey, there's Anthony's over here now too. It says, depends on the kid. I don't think anyone may want my kids at least some days. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, Charlotte will tell you all the time that, uh, I tell her, Charlotte, if you're going downtown and somebody stops and offers you candy, I say, take it. And, but yeah, it's true. I, I used to, I also joke with my kids. I'd say, you know, somebody would kidnap you and they'd bring you back in a, in a day because they'd realize you eat too much and they couldn't afford to keep you. So yeah, true story there too. But, <laughs> um, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about, yeah, Charlotte says, take it. Candy's good. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, we had a conversation about uh, Strike Anywhere matches. Everybody's always, uh, I, I I have a thing for Strike Anywhere matches. We have the Redbird ones in Canada, and they're still a really good quality. So I did some digging, and like I said before, uh, it turns out that those green diamonds are the only ones available in the U.S. or the only main brand still available. So I said, hey, guys, I've never tried them, but Here's a link to them. Anyway, a couple of people messaged me and said the quality on those green diamond strike anywheres aren't very good. They say they'll basically strike anywhere as long as it's on the side of the box that it's made to strike on. So anyway, so that, but, uh, and I didn't write down this person's name, but they did send a tip that if you're still looking for the good old fashioned red tipped strike anywhere matches, quite often they can be had at gun shows. So something else, you know, whether we really need an excuse to go to a gun show or not, but Another thing you can look for there is a strike, a good quality old fashioned strike anywhere match because frig, that's just another thing that's hard to find and you can't get them shipped at all. Um, another quick tip for you guys, and you may have seen this one. I, um, I seen a, uh, a picture on Instagram the other day, but it's something I've been doing for a few years. When you buy a new box of Mason jars that you're going to use, save the box. And this is probably the old man in me, but my goodness, all of my mason jars, whether they're full or empty, stay in that bottom half of the box. You know, every the the, the Bernardin uh, mason jars, they come in that half cardboard box. I save that, and then everything goes into that box and on the shelf. It's so much easier to carry, so much easier to organize, and just safer for the jars to stay in the box they came with. So yeah, that is definitely my old man tip of the week, but it, it's great. <laughs> um Brian says, we used to steal the strike strips from boxes and even matchbooks. And what did you use those for? Because uh, I, I got to go back to my teenage years. But when I was 14, the coolest thing we were able to download on the internet was the Anarchist Cookbook. And if anybody else has ever downloaded that, that was awesome. <laughs> anyway, back in the day, there may or may not have been the instructions in there for taking a tennis ball and cutting off a hundred or 200 or 300, whatever it was, strike anywhere matches and putting all the heads in a tennis ball and then wrapping it in duct tape and then use your imagination from there. Supposedly it worked. We never were brave enough to try it, but we always thought it would take quite a few strike anywhere matches. <laughs> and yet Chris says, always save the jar box. I know. Yes. Well, I'm going to have to look up, Brian, what you might have used those for. So that's kind of cool. But yes, always save the box that the mason jars come in. And it's not something I did for a lot of years, but the last few dozen I've bought, I've done it and it's made my life easier and made the uh, pantry way more organized. Um, 
Oh, yeah. And uh, I wanted to share with you guys. I always love hearing stories from different people on. Uh, oh, and uh, oh, hey, Greg, how are you? Nice to see you, buddy. And Tony also said, I've resorted to building my own boxes for canning jars. I have. I've had too many breakdown over the years. I even have to be able to stock them on each other. I thought about doing that as well. And I keep a lot of uh, scrap plywood around. So that's a that's an awesome idea because it is nice to be able to pick up your jars and move them and do all of that. So yeah, I, I love it. If you have, I've, maybe this is stupid or simple, but if you have plans or pictures of the little boxes you made, share them with me and I'll, I'll share them out there so people can get the idea for them because I, I yeah, they're great. Um, Northstar on Instagram, this guy's awesome. He, um, I, I'm not sure how new or old of a prepper or even how old of a guy is, but I think he's pretty young, but he seems to be in some really cool projects and he's building a battery bank right now. And uh, he's not into solar or wind yet. That's the steps down the road, but he's getting ready to test it right away to run his furnace to see how long his battery bank will run his furnace. And something I love about battery banks, you guys probably know this anyway, of course, is, you know, you can always charge them off your vehicle. So even if you don't have a backup generator, if you want to get started um, and kind of have half of a solar system, build yourself a battery bank, and then you can run things off that battery bank. And then I had a really cool tip from another YouTube user that went into this battery bank and I, it was so simple. I never even thought about it, but, but guys, he said, if you want to be able to extend the life or sorry, so say you're into a prolonged power outage, who knows whether it's a week, two weeks, a month, doesn't matter, but it's a prolonged longer than you possibly planned for. And you have a bunch of gas on hand, but you know that you're going to go through that gas faster than you probably should. He basically said, so you have two ways of doing it. The first one is run your generator all the time and idle it, you know, to power your lights and all those little accessories that you have. And that'll work, but you're going to kill a ton of fuel just idling all the time. And his idea was to have a battery or two, charge the battery up with the generator running at full tilt. And then as soon as the battery's charged, you know, while it's, while the generator's running, power everything, charge up your battery, then turn your generator off then run everything off the batteries until the batteries are dead and repeat the process. It's a way to way lengthen the amount of fuel you have uh, comparative to how much you're actually using. So I thought it was good. Hey, Ken, I don't know if you heard my story, but I, turned, I told the story about how you were uh, your dad's uh, security guard for the tools when he used to go into the hardware store. So I appreciated that one. Um, yeah, so that one was from, uh, that tip was from Warren B over on YouTube. And I thought that was awesome about what a great, simple, I love dead, simple tips that just work. Uh, now Jake, if you guys have seen Jake, he's from Ravenwood acres, another awesome content creator he really specializes in a lot of things, homesteading and stuff, but he, he loves, uh, Coleman lanterns and Coleman stoves and things like that. So I, I put out the other day asking everybody, what kind of projects are you working on? And this one was too good not to share with you guys. He said, I'm edit. I'm going to just read it. It's a paragraph, but he said, I'm editing a private series of videos for my family right now. They correlate with my homestead user manual video. Basically, I filmed some how-to footage around the homestead. For example, how to start and set up the generator or how to winterize the pump host. Said I'll be posting these videos to a private playlist for my family. So anytime they need them, they can go to YouTube and watch them. Well, I thought that was the most dead simple, awesome, incredible thing you can do for your family. Manuals are great, but how awesome, I mean, you know, 
of course, we have to prep for everything. But what happens if you end up, you know, hurting yourself and you end up in the hospital and then your wife and missus or whomever ends up needing to uh, have a, uh, you know, has to start the generator because of a prolonged power outage. Well, the, you know, you can try to talk them through it over the phone, but how much easier would it be for them to just go on to a private family playlist that you have on YouTube and they can watch all the simple little things. And you know, that stuff's also there. Say you have to go away for a while and you need somebody to watch your property. You can give them access to it too. But to me, I just thought that was great. Yeah. That was just, was too good. I had to share it with you and it seems simple, just really nice. And, uh, said, make them public. Uh, you know, that's a possibility too, but I, I just thought either way, it's great. Um, and then I had, well, we got three more. These were all kind of technology tips and I thought these were really cool, but Odyssey Camper, if you guys don't know about Social Blade, he shared that link with me the other day and it's a place where you can go in and you can see uh, basically how well whatever channel you're looking at has been doing, how their subscriptions have been growing, and then it also projects out over the next year where that channel is going to end up. That was a really, for me, it was a pretty cool tool I hadn't seen before. Really simple. Um, and then the other day I asked for, if you guys have been seeing those prepper deal of the day videos that I've been doing, they're those little vertical kind of TikTok, I mean, I vertical and I show you horizontal with my hands, but the TikTok style videos. And I asked a whole bunch of different people for recommendations and Anthony was one and um, buddy, uh, I'm trying to think which buddy it was. There, uh, there was two or three different people giving me really good recommendations on videos. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I really should ask my 11 year old daughter what she used because she made TikTok videos for a ton of time. She recommended a video program called CapCut and it is awesome. It is so simple that even, you know, an old senior citizen like me can use it. It's free. There's no ads, there's no watermarks, and it just does what it, I want it to do. It worked to me. It feels just like iMovie, and that's what I use. There's no superfluous features. It's just simple. And so I had to shout out Charlotte for that because that was an awesome recommendation. And one other thing, if you guys have seen, uh, I mentioned it, but Instagram is now putting clickable links in your story. And that's huge for me. I, I know that's just a simple little thing, but if anybody is into Instagram, Instagram has been so locked down for a lot of years that they just won't let you share links there at all. And it sucks because you really want to, you know, if you're making, for me, if I'm making content, I want people to be able to click on that content and find out more about who I am. And the, really the only way on Instagram is to keep a link up in your profile and nobody wants to click out of your video anyway. So I digress, but simply the fact that they're now putting clickable links in their videos, that's nice. That's really, it, it shows that they they trust their content creators and they want more content creators on there because, you know, if I can't put links to my material in whatever it is I'm creating, I usually don't use that platform. That's why I'm not on TikTok because TikTok is basically like Instagram and, you know, it is what it is, so... <laughs> So what has everyone out, what I'd love to hear what anybody's preparedness project has been recently that you're working on. Um, yeah. So if you've got anything, throw it up there. I'd love to hear about it. My, my latest one, of course, has been the solar system. Uh, in the last couple of days, I've built an insulated box. You guys will see a video on that coming up, but that's been a huge learning curve for me. I went from literally zero about, um, 
you know, knowing nothing about solar to being able to talk about it intelligently at least. And I have a working solar system in my shop. I was actually able to run my entire shop on solar the other day, but yeah. So throw out anything that you're working. I'd love to hear it. And yeah, Brian says, if anybody, anybody monetizing Instagram, shoot me a message. Yes. I, um, I haven't really figured that whole stick out yet. It would be great. I think for RVers, there might be some real potential there, Brian, too. It seems like something that you could do quite well with. And yeah, you are right about solar being interesting. So of course, in my infinite wisdom, the other day I was going down the YouTube rabbit hole, learning about solar and learning about charge controllers and learning about backup power, because I'm just a nerd when it comes to that stuff. And all of a sudden I come across this guy who he built a a uh, little uh, solar, or I'm um, sorry, a little windmill. A basically, one, you know them John Deere garden style windmills that you see in the backyard. Anyway, he had one of those and he also found the proper type of motor and he built his own power generating windmill. And it was cool. But then I went through his playlist and he had one of these that had come from Amazon. And it was also a wind generator, but I think he only paid like $250 American for it which is like 12,000 Canadian or something. And uh, so it wasn't super expensive. So that night, you know, my wife, when we get talking, uh, I'm like, hey, honey, I got a new project I'd like to start on. And she just kind of rolls her eyes and she says, I love you, dear. <laughs> I support you. So in the spring, I think I'm going to get myself one of them small little, uh, you know, windmill generators off Amazon and try to pipe that into my battery bank as well. Because, you know, I know some people are doing it, but there's not a lot of people talking about wind power on in our kind of preparedness field i know there are some out there but definitely not in the people that run in the same area that i do for sure um okay so anthony says i have started to do this for my staff at my business i'm working on one for how to apply salt to the ground use a snowblower creating videos for things uh, so such a great way to be able to share the info with others yes that is awesome and and of course, as a business owner, we all should really do, or, you know, any, anybody who's a boss, we absolutely all should be doing that kind of stuff. And I'm really bad at that, but it's nice to hear people are doing it. And I love having, you know, standard operating procedures. That sounds like such, you know, horse crap or whatever, but it's, it's true. If you have, and also, and not just the young people, but, you know, us older folks too, but if you have something on video that you can sit and look at, you all of a sudden know this is what's expected of me and not just what's expected of me. I know how it's expected of me and what I need to do. And it takes so much of the stress off. So anytime that you can show somebody and have that actual video of it, I think that's going to make them feel a ton better. Uh, let's see. So Brian says, lots of guys have the mini wind turbines on the ice houses in Minnesota. Well, that makes sense, I suppose. Cause they're the one that he had was a 200 watt uh, no, sorry, a 400 watt. And it was putting out about 190 watts. So not a ton of energy, but I, I have 200 watts worth of solar power. And, you know, as long as I'm not putting a big drain on it, that's been enough for my little shop so far. So it's definitely going to be a really cool spring project. I'm not going to worry about it through the winter because you guys know we don't honestly get a ton of snow, but we certainly get a ton of that cold cold wind and i just i don't want to deal with it but yes uh sop for you know standard operating procedure is the way to be absolutely because anyway 
and I used to, when I used to work at the hardware store, I used to kind of, I'd get down on the idea that we had to have systems in place because I'm like, well, why is it always done that way? It shouldn't be done. that. Well, the reason it's done that way, two reasons is number one, it works. Somebody has made a ton of mistakes over the years to figure out this is the way that it works. And number two, everybody needs to work together. And if everybody's doing it a different way, you're going to have a whole bunch of problems. So when you have a standard operating procedure, everyone's on the same page and you know that whether you're the, the guy that's only been there for a day or the guy that's been there for 10 years, they're both going to get the same end result as long as they follow the same procedure. And you're going to keep them safe too. Uh, Chris says, ah, I have a wind powered project on the go, but I'm having issues with overspeed, mostly because of our daily hurricanes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I grew up on the East coast and I thought I left hurricanes behind when, uh, I came to Alberta, but the wind we have had this year has been, I don't want to say unbearable, but it, it, we've had a lot of wind this year, but Chris, you got to fill me in on your wind powered project, because I would love to hear more about that. This just something I'm just digging into. I mean, the solar is going to keep me going for most of the winter, but it's, yeah, I, I love backup power. I, I'd love, for me, I want to have backup systems for backup systems for backup systems. And a lot of it is simply because I have this addiction to learning, but now I can also turn around and teach, which is great too. And it gives me an excuse, you know, um, I can say to the miss as well, you know, this, I want to buy this because I want to review it and I want to do a project on it and I want to be able to teach on it. And, you know, so yeah, it just makes me, I can justify it a little bit better. Uh, Anthony, uh, this is over on float as well, in case you're wondering where I'm getting these uh, comments from, but Anthony says unbound solar is great to help lay out of solar projects. They can provide all specs and listed materials needed for putting together your solar project. I'll be using them to build my next expansion of my solar system on my house. Well, that is great. I don't know if I can, let me see if I can copy. We're going to see if we can bring that over here. There we go. I think so it, yeah. So we'll get you up there anyway. Uh, I just had to copy and paste it from over at float, but yeah, that's great. And something I thought was pretty cool. Uh, the missus and I yesterday went for a drive and they just finished the new Catholic school in town and it has something like 200 solar panels on the west, east, and south side of the school. So I'm not exactly sure how much they're going to be able to generate, but it's going to be quite a bit of electricity. So, you know, I always hate to see, you know, government tax dollars being used for anything, but I guess if they can put a whole bunch of solar panels on the side of the school and help offset some of their electricity, well, I think that's all right. So if anybody, anybody else have any questions you want to slide up there before we finish up for the evening. I, I can take one or two more for sure. This has been a, man, I can't believe this has been an hour and 10 minutes and we've flown by tonight. Um, while we're still chatting, uh, Sunday night will be the next live stream. As of right now, uh, we I had a community member ask a couple of weeks ago about doing an episode on bugging in versus bugging out when you should, when you shouldn't. So that's going to be the next episode Sunday night. Again, seven, uh, seven o'clock mountain, nine o'clock Eastern. And next Thursday is going to be the launch of our big repairedness series. And that, like I said, that's going to be all about building a prepper's toolbox. So to me, that's exciting. I cannot wait to launch that. And there's so many irons in the fire right now, but it's all good stuff. A lot of really neat projects on the go. So yeah. 
All right, guys, I would say if we've got no other questions coming up, I think we will call it an episode for this evening. So this has been episode 30. Thank you, guys. You know, I, I say it every week, but I mean it every week. People, everybody only has 24 hours in the day, and I know everybody is pressed for time, but I absolutely appreciate the fact that you're willing to come in here and spend an hour with me hanging out in the workshop. To me, that is humbling. So thank you very much, guys. Anyway, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and have a great week.